Happy Easter! Welcome to the special Faith at Work sermon podcast. Thank you for joining me today as we join with millions around the world celebrating the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ is risen. Alleluia! Let's begin with prayer. We thank you, Lord God, for sending your Son to us as our Savior. Today we celebrate his glorious rising from the tomb as a proclamation of victory over death and the promise of new life for all in him. Amen. Today, as I read the story of Jesus' resurrection and how it affected those who were to witness it, you might find it helpful to read along. I'm using the new Revised Standard Version of the Bible, but any version will do. Or, if you wished, just sit back in silence and listen. I'm going to read the story in three parts. We begin at the 20th chapter of St. John, beginning with the first verse. Early on, the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. Here ends the reading. Now try to picture the setting of this story. It's before sunrise when Mary Magdalene goes to visit the tomb of Jesus. She probably went under the cover of darkness, because Jesus had been arrested and brutally crucified by the Roman authorities. And when she gets to the tomb, she's shocked to find that a large stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Assuming that his body has been taken away, um, probably to be desecrated and hidden so that his followers could not come and worship there, she runs and tells Simon Peter and another unnamed disciple what she'd seen. Now the two disciples have a foot race to the tomb. This situation has disaster written all over it. They too are in hiding, waiting for the wrath of Rome to break out against them. It's obvious that neither Mary nor the disciples have any inkling that Jesus has been raised from the tomb, though he'd been telling them what would happen. This is just too large a leap of faith for anyone to take. Like anyone else, they believed that once you were dead, you stayed dead. They were living with a disappointment that their friend was gone forever. The unnamed disciple gets there first and peeks inside the tomb, but doesn't enter. 
He sees the linen burial cloth lying there, but he, he's evidently afraid of what he might find if he goes inside. Can you blame him? Tombs are scary places, and it's dark. He can't imagine that he would find anything good. But Peter is bolder. When he arrives, he goes inside to investigate further. He observes that the linen wrappings that had covered Jesus' body are neatly folded on, on the bench where the body had been laid, and that the cloth that had covered his face was set aside separately. He must have been puzzling out exactly what this meant. Then the other disciple summons up the courage and enters with Peter. He saw and he believed. But believed what? He and Peter believed that the body was gone, but then we're told that they still did not understand that the scripture said he would be raised from the dead. So they leave without apparent excitement and just go home. And our story doesn't end there. Now, let's go on and find out what Mary is up to after the two confused male disciples leave. She had returned also. Continuing at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away the Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. And he said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where have you laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she had told them, he had told, said all these things to her. Now, to this point, Mary does not yet know what to make of what's going on here either. But she's not ready to give up. She stands outside the tomb weeping and waiting. She's overcome by grief. When she looks in, she sees two angels dressed in white, sitting where the body had been. The angels, not tuned into her lack of understanding, ask, Woman, why are you weeping? She says bluntly, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Then Jesus sneaks up behind her and asks why she's crying. It's almost like he's toying with her a little bit, he knows why she's crying. He knows who she's looking for. Strangely, perhaps because it's still dark and she's in shock, she thinks he's the gardener and doesn't recognize him. She says, if you have carried him away, tell me where have you laid him, and I will take care of the body. 
Through all of this, like the disciples, Mary still does not have a clue to what is happening, or at least what the events mean. Once again, who can blame her? We're expecting her to believe something that is impossible, that a man has been raised from the dead. And now finally, finally, Jesus speaks her name, Mary, and she recognizes him. Rabuni, teacher, she says. The reality of Jesus' resurrection has finally dawned on her. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. But wait, we're not done yet. Jesus won't let him touch her. He says that he has not yet ascended to his Father in heaven. Now her job is to go back and tell the disciples what she has seen because they still don't get it. But she does. Jesus may have been a great, great teacher, but he had some dense students. And now in the final part of our story, we hear how they react continuing at verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and in my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and asked, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now after all the amazing things that they've seen and heard, where do we find the disciples? They've gone into hiding in a locked room, afraid of the Jewish authorities and that they will come and round them up and possibly execute them. Jesus comes and appears among them, though the doors are locked. He says, peace be with you, and shows them the nail holes in his hands and the wound where the Roman soldier had stabbed him in the side with a sword. And finally, finally, it dawns on them, and they rejoice. He breathes the Holy Spirit on them, 
and then gives them their mission in the world. Now, lest we forget, one of the disciples was missing, Thomas. He shows up a week later. Now, the others are still in hiding. They tell him what had happened, and he says, I won't believe it until I see, until I see Jesus. Better yet, touch him. Once again, Jesus appears, and finally, Thomas believes. Finally, finally, it dawns on Thomas. Jesus leaves. All of them and us with a parting thought. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet who have come to believe. Now, this story may defy our expectations of how the resurrection occurred. We picture Jesus' disciples waiting expectantly outside the tomb for Jesus to fill his promise to arise in three days and emerge. They would be unafraid of the Romans because they had God's power on their side. Then an earthquake rumbles the stone away and Jesus emerges, backlit by a great light and his face beaming with a heavenly glow. The disciples and Jesus high-five each other and fist-bump each other and live faithfully ever after. But that's not the way it happened. You know, it can take us a long time to puzzle out the answers to questions or problems in our lives. Some of them are trivial. Some are important. Then all of a sudden, the solution appears out of thin air in what feels like a magical flash of insight. My wife used to point out often how in the midst of conversations that I had interrupted someone else who was speaking. Now, I'd get mad at being corrected. I was just trying to be a part of the conversation. Then one night when she corrected me while we were on a Zoom conversation with some friends, it suddenly dawned on me that I was speaking first and listening second. And looking back, I realized that I've always had a tendency to interrupt. Now, instead of getting mad, I can try to correct that habit. It took years for it to finally dawn on me that I'd been a jerk. It finally dawned on me. That's the common way we say that we've learned a lesson that was a long time in coming. The Easter story is full of all those it finally dawned on me moments. If you go back and read the Gospel of John, you will see that Jesus had been preparing his disciples for his death and resurrection and whatever it meant for years. And still they're slow to understand the meaning of this most crucial event in his life. Mary Magdalene, Peter, and the other disciples, finally Thomas, are slow to realize that Jesus had truly died and had truly been resurrected. But finally it dawned on them. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.
The reason that I find this story so important on this Easter is that we are no different from Mary and the disciples who witnessed firsthand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We may feel flawed or that our faith is weaker than other people when the Easter message is not an immediate life-changing event, not a fist-pumping, high-fiving time. We look around at people shouting hallelujahs and proclaiming Christ has risen from the dead and assume that they have absolute conviction in their faith. Allow me to let you in on a secret. They don't. In my some 30 years as a pastor, I know very few of the most devout Christians for whom doubt and despair does not creep in around the edges of their faith once in a while. Yes, those people do exist, but they're rare. Most of the people who I know find it hard to believe that someone who has died can come back to life. They struggle with it. We may go to church on Easter Sunday morning sing a few hallelujahs, and then go out for brunch or home for a big family meal with our lives unchanged. Or we may just skip the church and go directly to feeding our stomachs instead of our souls. But Easter does not end there. It does not end on any Easter morning. Some of us are like that disciple who beat Peter to the tomb. He peeked inside and saw something, but he was afraid to go further. We, too, are afraid to look too deeply into the reality of death. We're forced to think about it when someone we know dies or if we are facing a life-threatening illness. But out, of, but out of fear, we try to push it out of our minds, out of our lives, and look the other way. Or like Peter when we see evidence that Jesus somehow escaped the bonds of death, we're still afraid and go back and try to look, our, look ourselves away and avoid facing our own mortality. Fear still dominates. And there are many Thomases among us. We'll believe if we can see concrete proof. I want to be able to touch that nail hole in his hands and place my hand in the gaping wound in his side. We read a few books, talk at length with our friends or maybe a pastor, trying to figure out what really happened that Easter morning some 2,000 years ago. When we figure it out, then we'll believe. You know, I went to seminary for four years. I learned Greek and Hebrew. I sat in classes led by brilliant biblical scholars and theologians and debated with other students about the most minute aspects of the story of the resurrection in all four Gospels. I was a Thomas. In all those four years, I never figured it out. I never came up with a logical explanation of how the resurrection worked. My faith did not grow one iota through all of that. Years after seminary, I led a group of pilgrims to the Holy Land. And on the trip, we stayed at St. Catherine's Monastery at the foot of Mount Sinai, the Mount Sinai. We rose at two in the morning and trudged silently through the dark up the mountain. It was still dark when we arrived and we sat on the rocks 
listening to the prayers and the songs in many languages of Christians from around the world who were waiting at the top of the mountain. Then the sky warmed pink and orange in the east above the Sinai Desert, where Moses and the Israelites wandered for 40 years. Then as the great orange ball rose from beyond the horizon, it finally dawned on me, literally and figuratively. The power of God dawned upon me. God's power to raise the sun from beyond the horizon. God's power to raise his son from the tomb. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. But that was not the only time I'd seen something like that or felt something like that. The resurrection is not a one-and-done event. Faith can dawn upon us many times. I've witnessed many more dawns than that, that one on top of the mountain. And maybe you have too. Or maybe you haven't. Either way. Here's the good news. The news of this whole story. Eventually, and unexpectedly, it finally dawns on us. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. If you're lucky, like Mary, you may hear Christ speak your name. He was there all the time, but you just didn't recognize him or hear him. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Easter is all about the dawn, the mysterious dawning of faith. Jesus said, Blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet believe. And we are blessed. In the end, after we have drawn our final breaths, we will awaken in the presence of God and it will finally, finally dawn upon us. Christ is risen. And so have I. Amen. Happy Easter. May God bless you with the message of resurrection and eternal life.